good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith back with another episode of Cinema, the podcast. So thanks for joining me. And as a reminder, as always, Cinema is brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. A few weeks ago, I announced I would be doing a podcast with a look at the Amityville horror films. And uh, to be clear, I'm only going to be looking at really the first three original films. So that's Amityville Horror, the 1979 uh, James Brolin, Margot Kidder film, Amityville 2, The Possession, and Amityville 3D. Uh, I'll be taking a cursory look at the remake, but really only to uh, kind of support what I'm what I'm talking about. So we'll we'll look at that 2005 remake. You know, just how many movies are there of of this? I mean, how many entries in the Amityville saga? I believe the answer is 13. There are 13 Amityville films, and I, I don't even know what to say to that. I've, I've lost track, kind of like that whole Children of the Corn thing. There are what six or seven of those. I mean. The first three Amityville films, they are cinema through and through. And and the hard part for me is, is how so many horror fans embrace, especially the first film, the 1979 film, as, as some kind of classic. These are bad films, folks. And I'm going to go into it and, and explain and, and support my position on this. Uh, these, again, are not reviews of the films, but rather a look at the making of these motion pictures And why they are so beloved. I I did a piece a while ago on why certain films, especially holiday Christmas films, are so beloved. And I want to do part of that here with cinema for horror. And that is, is I have a question. Why are these Amityville films so beloved and why are so many of them made? You need to know that there is a copyright on the Amityville horror. So you can't go out unless it's a sanctioned studio remake or whatever, or a sequel, make anything bearing the name the Amityville Horror. That is a copyrighted title. It is a trademark. And you have, you know, other films like, you know, the Amityville Tapes, uh, the Amityville Murders, and it goes on and on and on. The Amityville Terror. Oh, that's not close enough. We're going to talk about that a little bit and and look at a, a thorough examination of, of these films, the first three films, and ostensibly the... Uh, the remake. There's one thing that gets overlooked quite a bit with these Amityville films. Whether you believe it or not, and we'll be going into that momentarily, a real family died in that house, the DeFeos. And every time one of these lousy movies is made, that family's name gets dragged through it all. I'm going to be really upfront here. I don't believe the DeFeo family gets any kind of money or restitution for this because it's a public story. And I don't know how the legalities work with all of that, but I don't think the DeFeo family, the survivors of the people that were shot in that house, I don't think they get anything. Now, we know that Ronald DeFeo is still alive. He is in prison in New York. I've corresponded with Ronald DeFeo by letter. As far as I know, and I've I've done some uh, reading on this and, and looking up, uh, as far as I know, DeFeo makes no money whatsoever 
from any of the Amityville films or, or any type of, of Amityville horror property. Now, DeFeo claims otherwise. He's told fellow inmates that he makes money off these films and I believe I don't know how the law works in criminals profiting off of their crimes and if that's a state by state thing or a national thing. I could not find any evidence at all that Ronald DeFeo profits from the Amityville films. I could be wrong. So let's get into this. I, I mean, the only fact about any of the Amityville horror films is that the DeFeo family was murdered in their sleep inside that house on 112 Ocean Avenue. The real horror, in my opinion, is what the surviving relatives of, of the murdered DeFeos must endure every time one of these lousy films is made. I mean, a, a public examination of, of a family's execution literally splattered on, on movie screens, video, DVD, Netflix. This poor family can't escape it. I'm sure they don't even want to hear the word Amityville anywhere. Hollywood cynicism goes beyond making bad films and, and trying to pass them off as, as good or, or worse yet, classics. The real cynicism is from the studios that torture the DeFeo family and make a buck off of a terrible situation. As a result, I, I wonder, has, has any studio that, that made these films ever donated a, a few posthumous bucks to the DeFeo family for their trouble? I mean, seriously, has any of this money that has been made from these movies, whatever studio gets behind them, have they ever donated anything in, in the form of, of a scholarship or, or maybe set up something in the memory of the victims? I'm willing to bet not. If I'm wrong, I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, somebody let me know. A lot of people made a lot of money off this family's tragedy. There isn't one good film in the entire Amityville series. Not a single one. Now, as we know, in, in the second Conjuring movie, it opened up in Amityville. I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen the film. But I, I don't think they, they strictly mentioned uh, the house, you know, in Amityville. I think probably for copyright reasons. Uh, however, it was very clear that it opened up in Amityville and has an Amityville reference. And I think the whole Amityville horror is a bunch of bullshit. I think it's it's a great hoax. I think it was a hell of a gamble by the Lutz family. I'm giving you my opinion, and I, I don't see any evidence whatsoever of, of any kind of haunting. And in fact, the people who have lived in the house afterwards, the only horror they experience are souvenir hunters and pain-in-the-ass ghost hunters and horror fans that are constantly flooding the neighborhood, driving by, taking pictures of the house. And in fact, one owner said they had to chase someone off their lawn for having a shovel and digging grass and ground out of the lawn to say that they had some type of possession of, of the property of, of the Amityville house. This franchise gets a free pass and in a similar way, the Halloween franchise gets one. The sad part is, is that all of the ingredients were there to make one hell of a haunted house movie. I mean, Robert Wise is the haunting, not that terrible Liam Neeson remake, if you remember. I'm, I'm talking about the original black and white is considered the haunted house movie to this day. I'm not so sure I agree with that. And if the 1981 The Changeling focused on the house a bit more, it might wrestle away that, that title. There's The Legend of Hell House, but for me, that film falls apart about 15 minutes into it. It starts out fantastic and one of the finest examples of horror editing I have ever seen. After that, I, I think the movie just kind of falls apart into a lot of crash and boom and nonsense and not really all that scary. Jaws is the definitive shark movie. But the Jaws of Haunted House movies has yet to be made. 
And I really think Amityville could have been the Jaws of haunted house movies. Let's go back for a minute to Halloween so I can uh, clarify, so you can understand what I mean by comparing Amityville to the Halloween franchise. And I've talked about this in, in previous episodes, but John Carpenter's 1978 classic was never meant to be a franchise. It's 1981 sequel Halloween 2, as, as I've discussed, is a retread. It's an absolute ripoff film that fans revere because it takes place on the same night and Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance returned. The film offered nothing new. And while it's well made, it's really an inept film and it's a really poor sequel. There's a reason why Halloween 2018 ignored the 1981 sequel and the whole Michael and, and Jamie are, are siblings storyline because it was just stupid and, and very silly. Halloween 2 gets a free pass from fans who, who blindly embrace parts four through six. And they were also knockoff films. H2O, and, and I'll be doing something on what I call designer horror from, from the 90s and early 2000s, was an overrated mediocre effort because Curtis returned to the well. The last entry known as the Tyra Banks one, is, as I've talked about, is just plain dreadful. And the Rob Zombie films, those remakes, they're a whole different matter and I'm not going into that. And we're focusing on Amityville anyway. The Amityville franchise gets a similar undeserved reverence. But they're more of a cinematic affront than the Halloween sequels, believe it or not. And the sad part is that each of the following films that I'm going to be talking about here had opportunities, albeit brief ones, where they could have been good or even great. There aren't many good haunted house movies. Amityville is, is a kind of brand because of its true story, and I put that in quotes, that's been debunked numerous times. People still want to believe but there is more evidence supporting a hoax than horror. Despite the fact that the Lutzes, who claimed to have fled the house 28 days after moving in, their own lawyer, William Weber, admitted that the whole thing was made up over bottles of wine, and, and that legend persists. And, and there have been people that have come out of the woodwork to say, oh, you know, that's not true. William Weber was even making that up just to, you know, ruin the, the Lutzes. Uh, the one thing I will say is, from everything that I've, I've read and understood and, and looked at, uh, the Lutzes really didn't make a lot of money off the Amityville Horror. That was the studio. Uh, from what I understand, the Lutzes, I don't think they made much more than three, four hundred grand off of everything when, when all was said and done. Ronald DeFeo, the, the murderer who shot his family, he's look, he's told numerous shifting accounts of, of that evening, and he's gone on record to say there were no demons. There was nothing like that. I mean, he's changed his story to fit his case. And he's, he's admitted he's heard no voices and nothing supernatural provoked him to kill his parents and siblings. He made that shit up for a failed insanity plea. Uh, he's gone on to say that uh, his sister Dawn also was, was a gunman. And, and he's also said that there were two other people in the house with guns. I don't think we're ever going to get the real story from this guy. Going further, the, the post-incident owners of the house, there, there have been several people that have lived in this house, as, as I said in the beginning of this. And they've publicly stated they've experienced zero issues aside from the pain in the ass people that are constantly hounding them and stopping by the house. People have gone to great lengths. The owners of this house, they, like I said, there's kind of a revolving door. They've even changed uh, the address of the house 
on Ocean Avenue just to throw people off. And from what I understand, if, if you go searching for the house and if you ask anybody that, that lives in Amityville or, or the surrounding area, they will deliberately send you in the wrong direction. They, they don't want people there. And they probably are so fed up when they hear that another Amityville film is coming out. The first film famously depicts the priest that came into the house and was told to get out by some demonic voice. Well, the real priest who allegedly heard that infamous get out, I mean, he's declared numerous times he heard nothing. And then he distanced himself from the whole affair. I, I remember way back when Leonard Nimoy had that show In Search Of. At first, the priest said, yes, things happened. But over the years, he recanted his story and said that, you know, he just kind of went along with all of this. The late Jay Anson, author of, of the bestseller that launched this claptrap, admitted that he took liberties with the story to, to make sure he had a good narrative. So translated, he made shit up. They've been remaking the same damn story since 1979. Can, can someone do it right, even if it is all bullshit? So here's why I feel the first three films and the entire series of Amityville films, whether they're affiliated with the brand name or not, they're all cinema. So let's look at the first one, The Amityville Horror from 1979. So the book was a monster bestseller. I read the book when it first came out. In fact, I have a hard copy of the book, a hardback copy of the book, autographed by Lorraine Warren herself, one of the people of, of the Warrens, of that couple, Ed and Lorraine Warren, that also gave legitimacy to this story and helped blow it up. The nation was captivated by what I call the Empire State Building of haunted houses in quiet Long Island. And then famed B-movie company, American International Pictures, AIP, well, they came along uh, under the guidance of, if you remember, Sammy Arkoff, Samuel Z. Arkoff, the schlockmeister himself. He got the rights to the book and spent no time or expense in making a poorly made film. That's the problem. They could have made a great film out of that book. Whether you believe in it or not, it could have been a scary as hell movie. Just translate the book. Now, from what I understand, uh, Jay Anson did craft a screenplay, but it was rejected and they brought in someone that they said was more experienced. Now, I have never read Anson's screenplay, so I don't know how good it was. I mean, just because you write a book doesn't mean you can write a screenplay. All you had to do was take that book and just adapt it as it was written. Like the cynical Halloween 2, this thing was gonna make money, man. It was based on this monster bestseller. All you had to do was translate it and watch the money roll in. But why not give a little effort and make a good movie, regardless of being a true story or not? That's my problem, and that's why it qualifies as cinema. So AIP, American International Pictures, approved a poor script with laughable dialogue and almost no resemblance to the book. If you have a haunted house movie, you would think ghosts would be scary enough, don't you think? Well, the screenwriter didn't think so of the 1979 film. In so many of these films, for some reason, especially the first one, the house has to fall apart at the end. And this will become a, a trend in the series. The house explodes, windows and doors shatter, walls collapse, a lot of crash and boom. Aren't the ghosts enough? Why does a demolition team need to be brought into these movies? The film brought more chuckles than it did screams for the audience I saw it with. And I have to admit, at 12 years of age, I was not scared by this movie. I was scared by the book. In the 1979 original and the 2004 remake, George Lutz ends up chasing his family with an axe. And I'm going to ask again, aren't the ghosts scary enough? 
The book has no mention of Lutz trying to axe murder his family. But why do you have to chase your family around with an axe? It didn't happen in the book. Nothing like that happened or remotely came to it. At the end, they all flee the house. I guess that wasn't exciting or dramatic enough. I mean, we have a haunted house. Did Star Wars need a great white shark? Give us ghosts, man. In addition to the Shining Rampage, we have a puking nun, which was great, by the way. I love that scene. I love when this, the nun pulls the car over on the side of the road and vomits on the road. I don't know why that's in there, but it did provide a great laugh. We have a kid's fingers slammed in a window, gratuitous shots of the DeFeo family murdered in their sleep at the opening of the film. And we do get to see Margot Kidder in some skippy white panties, but... You know, James Brolin is just spending so much time chewing scenery in this movie. I mean, all of this doesn't qualify as cinema, but these things do. The definition of cinema for my podcast, very quickly, is basically you have a production team that could have done better. They had all the means. They had the money. They had everything. The stars. All of that stuff. They had the power to make a great film. They just simply chose not to. That's what cinema is defined. The fact is that you could make something that would truly entertain people, or you can just make a bunch of cynical product to get it out there to squeeze a few bucks from your audience. That's how I feel Jaws the Revenge was, and you can go back and listen to episode two, and I explain that till you're sick. They had every ability in the Amityville films to make a decent movie, especially in that first motion picture. They just simply chose not to. So how do I support that? Okay, we'll go watch the film again and you'll see what I mean. Here we go. The boom shadow on Rod Steiger's forehead in the fly attack scene in the opening of the film. I won't go into Steiger's overacting as that's well documented and and this isn't a review of the film. They could have easily gone back and reshot that scene when they saw that they had a boom shadow on Steiger's head. They just simply chose not to. The attitude was, and I can probably hear Arkov saying it, They're coming to see it anyway. We're going to make money on this anyway. Don't waste the money to go back for a reshoot. Just let it go. There was no effort to paint it out. I know CGI didn't exist at the time, but you could have painted it out. You could have darkened the scene. I don't know. You could have cropped it maybe. All I'm telling you is you look at the scene and tell me there were probably at least several ways you could have fixed that so it just wasn't a glaring error. They just chose not to do it. Kind of like the mechanical arm at the bottom of the shark in Jaws the Revenge. All they had to do was crop the damn scene. They just had to crop it out of frame and their attitude was, screw it. Also look at the poor special effects of the 1979 original, including a giant, I I guess it's purple, a a purple pig with glowing eyes that looks like some low-end like carnival animatronic. I mean, look at that scene. And most of all, they don't even mention the pig in the movie. I mean, the girl, the little girl, Missy, I think they call her in the film, she claims she has this invisible friend and we have the tropish rocking chair rocking back and forth on its own. Uh, Jody doesn't like you. I guess in the book, it made it very clear. Jody was this, this spirit animal, a pig. Uh, in the movie, I, I guess we assume that the pig is Jody and that's the kid's room that James Brolin is, is looking in at the end. I mean, never mind the lame ooze or is it blood that's leaking from the walls in a 50s low budget way. I mean, Christ, where did the money go for this movie? Did it just go to Brolin and Kidder? When you look at the stuff coming out of the walls, you can tell they just had these holes poked in the walls and they just pumped stuff through 
to make it leak down. And in the movie, it was slime. It was like some kind of animated slime that actually crawled and moved on its own. Here, it's just, ah, screw it. Let some stuff leak down the walls. I guess it's blood, but why is the house dripping blood? But then again, I guess you could ask, why does the house have moving, slithering slime through it in the book? I don't know. And that's the thing. Nobody cared. Listen to the poor sound editing in this movie, especially in the opening with those 1950s thunder and lightning sound effects. I mean, could you go any cheaper? What'd they do? Pick up spooky sounds of Halloween to use as their sound design? And look at the editing of the film. It's totally choppy. It doesn't work. It's, it's a mess. Don't even get into, of course, the cheap lighting and the poor cinematography. Again, I'm going to ask, where did the money for the production of this movie go? This was a film based on one of the hottest supernatural books since The Exorcist, folks. The above items could have been remedied very easily and quickly. The filmmakers simply chose not to. The boom shadow scene should have been reshot. The picture quality did not have to be of such poor grade and look grainy and awful. It, the movie looks cheap. While Brolin, Steiger, and Kidder, she, I mean, she was just coming off of Superman from the year before, probably did get a chunk of the budget. The film is not much more than half of a double bill drive-in movie, I'm telling you. It's, it's absolute bare-bottom, bottom-feeding filmmaking. Now, I know you're thinking, Harrison, you are being so hard on this movie. Well, I'm going to be fair. There are some positive things about it. This is why the movie qualifies as cinema. There were moments where this could have been a great movie. The filmmakers just chose not to go that route. So here are some of those almost moments. Go back and look at the film. There is a quiet scene at the opening of the Amityville Horror 1979, not long after the lady realtor shows the house to Kidder and Brolin, and she is alone in that haunted house. She's sitting at the kitchen table and, and a light wind moves through, tossing her papers to the floor. No words are spoken and it's in bright daylight. Yet there is a chill to this scene and it's quiet simplicity. It's sunny outside, but it's dark in that kitchen nook. Understatement worked well in a film written by a heavy hand. James Brolin played George Lutz and, and he's a man under considerable personal and financial pressure. He's taken on a new wife and her kids and a new house that a struggling business may not help them afford. And there's this scene where Kathy's brother is getting married. The day of the wedding, a considerable amount of money is lost inside the Amityville house. This was money to pay the caterer and he takes only cash. George is already not feeling well, attributing what we know to be supernatural forces to the flu. And George promises to take care of the situation. He'll cover the missing money and he writes a check and forces the caterer to take a check when he insisted only cash. And George knows the check will likely bounce and he needs to find that money. That night he sits up, having torn apart the living room to find the money, and all he finds is the wrapper that banded the cash together. George wails, where is it? And in that moment, anyone who has put their neck out there financially can totally identify. Those are the two moments in the Amityville Horror. Both of them are quiet moments, but the rest is cynical crap. Now, you may think I've, I've been way too hard on this, but I, I really want you to go back and look at the film objectively, not just as a horror fan, and because it's horror, you must love it. Go back and look at it for the things that I've just listed. It's a cheap-looking film. There was no effort to make a great motion picture. It was a quick knockoff of that book 
to cash in. The movie is kind of like the adaptation of the book as the Atari 2600 Pac-Man was an adaptation of the arcade game. They could have done so much better, but they chose not to. They knew you would buy it. So let's look at Amityville 2, The Possession. Not a sequel, but actually a prequel. This prequel gets the most fan love. Aside from the 2004 remake, this film is the best made of the entire series. It, its production value is definitely far superior to the original 1979 film. But it just might be the most cynical because it fully embraces the exploitation of the real DeFeo murders and goes even further in sullying that poor family's name. The film focuses on the events before the Lutz family moved in and endured their 28 days of terror. The filmmakers changed the last name from DeFeo, I, I looked it up, to Montelli. And uh, like, like it matters. Why they bothered to change the name for this film is, is beyond me. I mean, the damage was already done between the book and the first film. The film goes on to rip off The Exorcist. This in itself is not cinema. You, you have a haunted house movie. You have ghosts. Is, is there any justifiable reason to have incest, though, between the brother and sister? I mean, I, I wondered that while I was sitting there watching it. I mean, I guess you, you put it in for the creep factor. And Diane Franklin is such a gifted actress. And I, I really felt the, the woman was totally exploited for this movie. I mean, she's such a great actress. You could have given her so much more to do other than take her clothes off. And I, I, I know Diane and I've met Diane and she's a sweetheart. I like to think of Diane more for The Last American Virgin and Better Off Dead, in which she did wonderful turns in, in both performances in those films. I don't think the incest thing was put in there to titillate. But, but rather, to, in my opinion, to, to compensate for the lack of, of genuine horror and scares in the film. While real horror comes from dark places, real horror is identifiable. When we can relate to it, we connect. When we connect, we react. The incest subplot becomes a major plot point by the end of the film. It is the equivalent to the hypodermic scene where, where a needle injection is inserted in gratuitous close-up to elicit a response from the viewer because the script is lacking the ability to get that response. The film devolves into an exorcist ripoff and, and not a good one. The film is a mess and I think it's in bad taste. Amityville 2 The Possession is cinema because of the cynicism that fueled the exploitation of the family that had to not only deal with the murders, but also have people thinking incest was committed in that house. Just changing the names doesn't help, and the filmmakers knew it. Now, let me tell you something. We see all these headlines lately of kids bullied and picked on, and you know how some celebrities come forward and help them. Can you imagine being a younger relative going to school at the time these movies were coming out on the heels uh, your relatives' murders that were plastered all over the nation and especially your own town. Can you imagine what these kids dealt with, the, the DeFeo family relatives, the kids dealt with going to school? Like, especially after people saw this, hey, did, did your uncle really, you know, have sex with, with your aunt? That kind of stuff. Did anybody even think about that, what this family has to endure? And on top of it, why this is cinema, this is no different than hiring a scientist to consult on Jaws the Revenge, the filmmakers of Amityville 2 allegedly had professionals and experts on the real murders and Lutz story consult with the writer. They knew incest was never a factor and never substantiated. Didn't anyone speak up and object to this being not just in bad taste, but, 
But really, when you look at it, it's defamation of that family. There are some almost moments in this movie. There are some moments where this could have been, again, a gigantic Jaws of haunted house movies. The almost moments in this movie are the quiet moments. Like when things turn sour inside the house when after the family moves in, not long after they moved in. A new home should be a happy occasion. It is clear the family has had issues beforehand, and the hope is this house will make it all better. It is a dark twist on the American dream and home ownership. We can relate to those people. Most of us have been there in the hopes that a new house, a car, or even a child will make all our problems go away in that marriage, in that family, in our lives. Aside from this, there is really little else. And all of it is marred by the unnecessary incestuous relationship between the brother and sister. The filmmakers should have known better, and they did. Now let's go on to Amityville 3D, directed by Richard Fleischer. And, and I'm going to get into this because I was an usher at our local mall movie theater when this came out. It was one of the first movies that played that fall uh, when I first started working there that I, I just had to see. And um, I got all excited about it because, again, 3D had made its comeback. And uh, it was Amityville. Hey, this, this could be a lot of fun. There are, I guess, home video releases of it that just call it Amityville 3 because it's not in 3D or Amityville the Demon. Whatever you want to call it, I am going to say, oddly enough, you're going to think I'm crazy, that this film is probably the best one in the entire series because it's so bad, it's brilliant in a William Castle kind of way. It might be the only film that captures the atmosphere the book was trying to present. While the house blows up at the end of this one, no one goes running around with an axe. There are some moments when it works. They are brief and they are quiet. This movie also has some fame because Meg Ryan debuted in it. And now she's known in the press and in the media for an entirely different thing. But the always cute and wishy, got undressed, wholesome, cute as a button, Lori Laughlin was the doomed victim inside this full house. One of my favorite things about Amityville 3D is that Candy Clark makes the whole thing worthwhile because she takes this movie seriously. Meg Ryan's character leads us on a tour of the DeFeo murders and once again names the family by name. Here is a third installment to money-making films and again, no one could be bothered to put in the effort. The special effects in Amityville 3D are absolutely laughable. And I invoked William Castle because of its 13 ghosts kind of feel. The 3D aspect was a low-rent 80s gimmick, and the film itself is a real mess. But the cast seems really game. They're all trying. I mean, it really seems like they are. And the script throws a few bones to them. It opens by taking a swipe at famed ghost hunters Ed and Lorraine Warren, and, and Robert Joy's character gives a nod towards Stephen Kaplan. Uh, he was a paranormal scientist who claimed to be the first to debunk the Amityville horror and called out the Lutzes as hoaxers. There was something here. It was brief and fleeting, but this something makes it the least cinema qualifying of the lot. I really think also the score to this movie was kind of cool. There, there were some moments here. So let's look at some almost moments in Amityville 3D. I mean, the opening of the film that I said, 
that this could have set the tone for the rest of the movie. Roberts and, and Candy Clark are investigative journalists looking to expose a husband and wife team who trick people in their grief. Clark is game for the movie and, and we like her instantly. She's so likable in pretty much everything she does. The opening effects are bad. Then the lights go on and we see they were supposed to be bad. Unfortunately, when we do see the actual film effects at the end for the supernatural, they look like pretty much the amateurish ones used by the fraud psychics that open the film. And that's a shame. The ghost, like spirit entity of, of Lori Laughlin, it, it looks like a, a purple lava lamp kind of thing. You, you'll see what I mean. Roberts has a great talk with the realtor looking to unload the famous house. And the actor does a sincere job expressing fear and frustration as he, as he tells the history of the home succinctly with good dialogue. That's what the realtor did. He was, he was caught as, as part of the scam uh, with those, those hoaxers in the opening of the movie. And, and it's a good scene. By the end of the conversation, the realtor convinces Roberts to take the house off his hands. It's just a good, quiet scene with the house looking over all of it. Another good thing, which is probably scarier for us, but not scarier for Lori Laughlin with what she's facing in, in her recent media issues, but Lori Laughlin's death in the film is well done, even though it takes place off camera. I was kind of surprised at that. We really feel it when Roberts discovers his daughter lying dead in the backyard, and Tess Harper's experience inside the house at the same time is, is a quiet and creepy moment when, when she sees uh, Laughlin's apparition uh, walking up the steps and she's all wet. It totally works. And the lighting works with it to create an atmosphere that, that conveys true dread. It really does. Go look at the scene. And I, I got to bring up Candy Clark again. I mean, they needed Candy Clark in the film more. And consequently, the film should have been about her. She has two good moments. One is her introduction to the house as she investigates a blown fuse. It is again a quiet moment, and it turns into a big one. And because we like her character, we're engaged in, in her exploration of the house. Candy Clark is the center of another moment as she examines her photos of the house. She took some photos inside the house. And her magnifying glass reveals a startling little image and a brief moment, and then it's gone. But there were some cool moments to Amityville 3D. But most of all, I love it because it's just over-the-top cheese in a very William Castle kind of way. So I'm going to say Amityville 3D is the least cinema qualifying film of all the ones discussed. So now it's time to turn some brief attention to the remake and, and the rest of these films. The 2004 remake promised higher production value and a solid cast with Ryan Reynolds, which I always thought was an odd choice. I mean, he got to display his abs, though. The remake ends with an axe chase again and is chock full of CGI ghost tropes. It's, it's less cinema than a useless remake, I guess. Cinema applies to the remake because they could have made all efforts to make a scary and effective haunted house film. Instead, they chose the easy route once again and did little to improve on the original film or, or its subsequent bad entries. The only thing it's got really going for it is that it is well made. That's really all I have to say on, on the remake and, and the sequels, or, or better yet, further installments, they're, they're not necessarily sequels, seem to have nothing to do with the source material. 
the DeFeo family is invoked throughout some of them. And, and the last installment went off in a found footage direction, I, I think. I'm, I'm not even sure anymore. I remember seeing one where it was like a found footage. I think that was the Amityville tapes, whatever that is. And, and I just feel that there was a total missed opportunity to make the definitive Haunted House movie. All the ingredients were there in Jay Anson's book. It was the recipe that was the problem. Horror or hoax, one thing is for sure. The Amityville franchise is pure cinema. This is Harrison Smith. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to talking to you next week. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give a rating and review. Cinema is also available on YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Play Music and more. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.